I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome everyone to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Monday edition. I'm Julian McKenzie. Ian Mendez is not here because he is lazing on his couch watching The Simpsons. And every good reason for him to do so, because uh, this on this day, 29 years ago, uh, the Lisa on Ice episode premiered. The hockey one. If you, if you don't remember the titles and all that, it's the hockey episode of The Simpsons. And there might not be a better person to have on today's show in light of today's anniversary than Mark Lazarus. I always love doing these shows with you, Mark. But on such a historic day in Simpsons dumb, it is perfect that you are here. Ah, uh, Mr. Honey Bunny! <laughs> I love the fact you were able to do all these quotes from The Simpsons. Like, I, I love The Simpsons. Like, look, look. The, it's a the, great show. It's look, a brilliant the, show. The best episode of The Simpsons. I know you got to get to the rundown and everything, but this is more right. important. I, I'm yes. t- the best episode of The Simpsons is Last Exit to Springfield, the union episode, the strike episode. It might be the best 22 minutes in TV history. It's that tight. It's that funny. The funniest episode of The Simpsons by far is Lisa on Ice. Uh, I, if you've ever been around youth sports parents, if you've ever been around youth sports at all, it's, it is perfect. It's just, it's just historic line after historic line. People don't realize how almost all of their favorite lines come from that episode. It's not because it's about hockey. It's just that good. Exactly. Also the memes too. Look, let me get to the rundown first. I'll give you another movie. No, more sense. Screw screw the rundown. Nobody cares. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We got stuff we got to get to. I know you got to get, we got to get a moment in on the Simpsons, but it's going to be a packed show today. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers are going to come up with Jay Woodcroft uh, out of a job, Chris Knobloch taking his place. Uh, the Nikita Zadorov trade story, uh, the trade request, I should say. We, as far as we know, there's no trade that's been done yet. Uh, Connor Bedard, obviously, Mark uh, covers him in Chicago. Uh, I'd like to see if we can go through the updated uh, Stanley Cup prediction picks that we uh, made and how they've been updated to this point. And uh, Arthur Staple, our New York columnist, does a lot of work on the Rangers. Uh, he'll join us at around 3.15. We'll even tap into our mailbag. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to send us anything, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. We also take voice messages, 845-445-8459. We'll get to, uh, I think there's at least one uh, piece of mail we have in our mailbag here. Uh, but Mark, I, I got to mention here with The Simpsons, brilliant show, watching the first 10 seasons of that show, some of the greatest television ever made, the fact that they're allowed to coast for the next 20 years after that. Like, I mean, I can't even be mad at that. But the fact that Lisa on Ice, the fact that the anniversary is today, I I, I like, I just, I since I saw that was done, or at least that was out there, I tried to like watch like some of the episode before I made it home after practice today. It's and just like playing in a perpetual loop in my head. I don't even need yeah, to watch it. Because I knew you were going to quote from it. And I just felt like, damn, like I, I wish I could just like find a way to like catch up to you in quotes. Like your, your Simpsons fandom 
I have to say, I have to admit it, it's it's unmatched for me right now. Well, well, you're, you're the, you got you got to think you're the same age as that episode. You're 29 yes. years old, so you're yes, you were you were like seven months old when that show when that episode came out. I was 14. I just turned 14. Oh my! The God. golden years of The Simpsons were. I, I was the perfect age for them, right? I was like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 during those glory years, where just every episode was just banger after banger after banger, and they all still hold up. And it, it's like it's like everyone my age we don't speak english we just speak in simpsons references like that's all we do like like you know how they, like, like twitter has become that where it's just like memes you do yes. gifs yeah. we were doing that before twitter existed like since i was 15 years old i have only spoken in meme it's just been all simpsons and futurama quotes so like do you do when uh your friends fail at attempts do you bake them a cake that says at least you tried <laughs> or at least i say it at the very least <laughs> every every single time my wife she she loves this by the way every single time my wife like screws something up or like you know burns a piece of toast i go way to breathe no breath <laughs> my favorite line ever is jimbo jones in the sell your soul episode bart sells his soul it's such a stupid line it's the greatest line i've ever heard way to breathe no breath i must say that 30 times a day oh man last thing i'll say about the simpsons one of my one of the greatest christmas gifts i ever received was a homer simpson onesie I think I wore that at an outdoor like festival like two months before the pandemic. I had finished like my TV job. I finished the shift. And wait, this uh, was as an adult. You had a onesie. Yeah, I still have the onesie. Uh, <laughs> I still have it. Absolutely. And like three years ago, I had finished a shift at like a TV station I was working at, and I, for whatever reason, I was still in my like attire, and I didn't have time to change. So to and this was in the middle of February too. I just put the onesie suit over my suit. And I was oh just out God. there like this like outdoor festival, just like having the time of my life. I so love you don't understand. Like, everybody my age went through that thing when around like 1990 where all we wore was Bart Simpson t-shirts. Yes. Bart was the star at the start until Homer took over. That's what, when Conan came on as a, as a writer, he sort of shifted the focus to Homer. And that's when the show really took off. But yeah. Bart was a phenomenon early. And we all had these like bootleg Bart Simpson t-shirts. Like, you know, my name is Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? Eat my shorts. Don't have a cow, man. And like the schools were like debating whether we'd be allowed to wear them to school and stuff. It was like a whole thing for like a whole year. Okay. Let me hit you up with this idea as we transition over to actual hockey talk. What if the NHL found a way, you know how they did like the big city green game or I think it was on ESPN. Where yeah, that had, was great. Actually, that was fun. Where they, My they kids love that. Yeah. They animate the characters. What would it take for them to do a Simpsons version of an NHL game? Kids that they don't watch The Simpsons, it wouldn't land. It would land with people my age, which they don't really need to target forty-three year olds. <laughs> you know, my, my kids are just starting to get into The Simpsons. My kids are eleven and eight, uh, and they're starting to like The Simpsons. But some of it's not quite. You know, it, it, it's we watch it occasionally when it's on. Uh, but it, it's like a whole gen. It's like people who don't watch like Cheers or Seinfeld anymore. Like it's it's too late. I guess that I guess that's fair. I mean, well, I mean, people still watch Friends at least. Like it's. Do you, do you think uh, Jay Woodcroft is basically like the uh, the I didn't do it boy right now? It's going, I didn't do it. <laughs> I'll tell you what. That is a guy who has all the time in the world to binge Simpson shows now because he is out of a job, which a uh, great job on, on the segue there. I was trying to do an Ian Mendez transition there. I don't know if I, my voice isn't nearly as mellifluous as his, but I tried. Mellifluous? What is that? Oh, man. He is like he is like the the poster child for mellifluous voice. That guy's voice, I would pay so much money to have that guy's voice. What does mellifluous mean? Like uh, beautiful, elegant. It sounds just it's just soothing to the to hear. So I mean, that man was that, born to do radio. So you feel he has that voice, but I my voice doesn't have oh, that fine. at all. You're fine. I'm just fine. You're fine to you, dude. I'm like abrasive and horrible, so fine's not bad. Okay, I can't wait till Ian comes back. Let's talk about Jay Woodcroft. <laughs> Let's talk about Jay Woodcroft and the fact that he is out of a job. But let go over the weekend. I mean, we all kind of saw this coming after the San Jose loss. Some people were looking at the video of him and Dave Manson leaving the bench and were interpreting it as him looking at Dave saying, "Oh, well, that's probably it after that yeah, loss." But he's, that's not what he said at all. Like the people I don't are really think bad at lip reading. I don't think that's what he said, but he still gets one more game. He coaches against the Seattle Kraken. They win that game, and some people even think that, hey, maybe that's the turning point. Maybe that's what changes the fortunes around for this team, but he's still gone as head coach uh, as we enter Monday. Uh, Chris Knobloch, who coached in Hartford and once upon a time coached uh, Connor McDavid in the Ontario Hockey League, is his replacement. Uh, what did you think of the firing? What did you think of this news? 
I mean, it, it felt inevitable. It also felt kind of silly. Like it's this is the winningest coach that Edmonton's ever had. Granted, small sample size, but all he's done is win there. You know, he's done a good job. He is generally well respected, and it's you know. If this losing streak happens in January of a season and they're already in decent standing, does anybody does anybody freak out if they have like a, a rough couple of weeks in January? It's just because it's at the start of the season. This is what hockey does, though, right? You can't fire all the players, so you fire the coach. Uh, it, I don't think most of this is on Jay Woodcroft. I mean, you have Connor McDavid at under a point a game, probably returned too fast from an injury. He's gone three straight games without a point. Like He's clearly not all the way back, Rhett. Uh, there's injuries. There's just horrifically bad goaltending, which is not Jay Woodcroft's fault. No. Uh, it, look, look the Oilers are probably going to be fine. They probably would have bounced back even with Jay Woodcroft, but this is what you do in hockey. Coaches are disposable. Unless you're like one of those handful of guys like, like a Barry Trotz who can single-handedly transform a team overnight like he did to the Islanders years ago when they went from the worst defensive team in the league to the best in the span of one season. Most of these guys, I think GMs at the very least, see them as a dime a dozen. They're just kind of like, let's get a new voice in there, whatever. It's, it's such an improvised sport. The players are just going to go do it themselves anyway. I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel that's the way coaches are viewed in the NHL, aside from a handful of special ones. Well, I'm sure I'm glad that the Edmonton Oilers decided to consult players on this before they made the coaching change. Or, or did they? Or 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 did they? Uh, can we pull up the clip from the press conference uh, this past weekend where uh, Ken Holland, the GM, is talking about it, and CEO of Hockey Operations, Jeff Jackson, also discussed this. I want to know if you pick up on the same vibe that I got from this. The players' leadership group come into the conversation where they brought in to, to discuss potential uh, options for this team moving forward. Is that something that you guys uh, bring into consideration or have done before? I'll let you know, because I, I did talk. I have talked over the, this past week um, with with uh, some of the veterans on our team. Um, I'm not going to tell you what they said. I take the information. Ultimately, I have to make, I have to make decisions. Obviously, Jeff's got a long, long, long relationship with, uh, with Connor. You can probably talk about that. Yeah, no, I mean, we didn't consult with the players on this decision. <clears throat> Never spoke with Connor or Leon or Nuge or Nursey or any of the other leadership group. Um, these guys are here to play hockey. That they they know that that's what they want to do. Um, they don't like being involved in these types of decisions. Uh, that's my experience. Um, so the fact that you know Chris was Connor's coach in Erie in 2014-15, it it only has something to do with this because I think Chris Knobloch's a very good coach. <clears throat> uh, Connor didn't have anything to do with this decision, and neither did the other uh, leadership group. Um, Mark, can I also read out uh, a tweet after this? So Connor McDavid got to speak on this today. And I know I'm only reading one tweet. This is only part of what's been said out there today. But he was asked if he was given a heads up about the coaching change. Here's this quote. Uh, I'm reading from uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman's Twitter, by the way. I woke up to a text like probably you guys did as well. I know the narrative out there, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Oh, that doesn't sound all that uniform to me this sounds kind of a weird kind of mess am i am i wrong at thinking that i mean you asked what, what my view of that my my read of that is my read of that is ken holland is not in charge of this team jeff jackson is like clearly the you know holland's in the last year of his contract he's on the way out like it's pretty clear that this is jeff jackson's team and he's going to be taking over all the personnel decisions now and so you know i, I don't think ken holland was lying that he spoke to players on the team but I think the players probably know who's in charge too, so they didn't feel like they were having input. They thought they were just talking to, you know, uh, just shooting the shit basically. So I, I, that's the vibe I get is that Ken Holland is just kind of taking up space there. Wow. Okay. Well, we're gonna have to see how it is with him. But just to me, at least from an outsider's perspective, this just looks kind of weird. But also the fact that Chris Knobloch, who has a history with Connor McDavid, and Connor McDavid seemingly blindsided by all of this this feels like the exact opposite of like you know like those teams lebron has been on where he gets to pick who he wants as coach or he well, gets to pick these players right like that's what that's what i wanted opposite. to ask you yeah do you think that Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl should have a say in this because i went through this just last uh, uh, uh two years ago with patrick kane and jonathan taves 
whether they should have input on whether Derek King should stay, whether they should go higher than outside. Are they going to have any kind of say on the direction of the franchise following the, the firing of uh, Jeremy Colleton and all the, all the misery they went through off the ice and everything? And Kane kind of said, yeah, I'd like a say in that. And, you know, Stan Bowman was always adamant, no, that's not how this works. And Kyle Davidson kind of hemmed and hawed and didn't really give a straight answer on that. But that's the way it's done now in basketball. Do you want to see that in hockey? Do you want to see players taking more, you know, a more assertive approach to team building or should they shut up and dribble? I mean, Edmonton has arguably the best player we have ever seen. Yeah. And Leon Dreisaitl is a top three player. And he might not be three. He might not. I mean, he might. Not, he's probably he's not one. He might be two, depending on how you stack it up there. And while I understand that teams are not made by just two players, those two are integral parts to that team. So why shouldn't they have some kind of say yeah. as to how the team should be run? I can understand you don't want them to be in a position where we're calling McDavid McGM or LeGM for Leon. I can like like the GM and the, and the president of hockey operations, the people in the front office, they still have jobs to do. They still have to do what's right for a team. But you're making all that money, you have all that power in the NHL, and you can't have a say in your own front office. Like I like I don't even think it like to say it's just oh it should it just be like basketball. Like that should just be a thing that high level athletes who have some kind of sway and influence on a team should have. Like if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think Connor McDavid should have every right to know. Look, it's one thing for for Connor Brown or or Zach Hyman or Darnell Nurse to be blindsided by this news. For Connor McDavid to be blindsided about this news, especially for a guy who he knows, I, that to me, I'm a bit surprised about. Like he should have some kind of say, and maybe, may, and and also too, it seems as if like you know he he went to the defense of Jay Woodcroft as well, saying he didn't lose the room. Like maybe if they consulted him on this, maybe Jay Woodcroft still has a job. I, I don't know how you don't consult these players on this. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I think that, you know, especially with, you know, McDavid's got two years left on his contract. Dreisaitl's in the last year of his contract. You want these guys to He'll be He'll enter happy. the last year of his contract next summer. Right, right. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So you want these guys to be happy. You want them. So, look, you don't go to them and say, hey, should I fire the coach? Who do you want to be the coach? But you seek their input. You go up to them and you say, what's the vibe right now in that room? Be honest with me. What's, what's the read on one Woodcroft now? Is he the guy? You know, are there concerns? You get their input, and it helps you inform a decision. That's how it's supposed to work. You know, those guys have earned the right to have a say in this. Also, they they hold the fate of your franchise in their hands, whether they want to stay long term or not. So you want them to at least feel like they're respected and appreciated and involved. To blindside Connor McDavid, if he really was blindsided, and why would he lie about that? Um, I, I that doesn't that's not a good way to start. That's not a good step in the process to take in the relationship between team and player. And frankly, you know, Connor McDavid is a hell of a lot more important than Jeff Jackson is or Ken Holland is. A thousand guys can do their job. Nobody can do Connor McDavid's job. So you have to at least solicit his input, even if you don't want to give him, obviously, the GM job. You got to get his input. You got to get a feel for what's going on in that room because as a GM, you don't know it. You're not in there every day. Only the players can tell you that. And McDavid's reached a point in his career where he could probably be honest and speak his truth, and he should be heard. I I think it's cap that that Jeff Jackson says that players don't like being in those types of decisions. Oh, they they, they desperately want to be in those decisions. Like, come on! <laughs> Doesn't it also make this worse that you know this isn't just some random? I mean, not that front office people are just random, but Jeff Jackson and Connor McDavid have a history together. That was his agent. Doesn't this make this worse that he's the one who's ultimately making that decision, or at least part of that decision? And blindsides his own former client. Doesn't that make this worse? It doesn't help. But I, I think that, you know. I, I do. I always think about the. It was. Um, this was a few years earlier when the Blackhawks first tried to do a rebuild. They kind of mm -hmm. they let Corey Crawford walk. Jonathan Taze was furious about it. And I asked Patrick Kane. He said, "I'd like to be involved in these discussions." The guy had been here for 13, 14 years. He's the biggest star in the history of the franchise. He wanted to have a say in the direction of the team. At least be heard. Express his concerns and his 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 thoughts and be heard. And Stan Bowman, he basically said, shut up and dribble to him. He said, players play, managers manage. And that's a very archaic way of thinking. That's some like 1960s shit. Like that's not how it works anymore. When these guys are making eight figures, they are more important than you are. They are more valuable than you are. They sell tickets, not you. They, they understand the room you don't. 
You have to solicit. You're, you are you are just uh, derelict in your duty if you are not regularly speaking to your leadership group about the vibe in the room, the sense of what things are going on, just because you'll never know it otherwise. The only ones who can tell you that are the ones in the room. And the leadership group are supposed to be the conduit between the players and management. They're the ones that can say, these are the concerns the other players have. I can say it because, you know, I'm entrenched here. But this this rookie guy can't say it because, you know, he's still on an entry-level contract trying to keep his career going. That's what they're supposed to do. Your leadership group, lead. And that involves speaking to management. Well said. Uh, one other thing before we move on here. Uh, Chris Knobloch, I've mentioned before, has the history with Connor McDavid coaching him in Erie of the OHL. Question for you, Mark Lazarus. Trivia question for you, actually. Uh oh. In the three years Connor McDavid was under Chris Knobloch, how many times did Connor McDavid lead the team in scoring? Ooh, there were some good players on that team. That was Dylan Strom and Alex Debrinkit were on that line, and some other guys came through there. Uh, because you're asking me, it's obviously not three. I'm just going to try to quiz the quizzer here, and uh, I'm going to say one. So you think that of all three years he was there, 2012 through to 2015, Connor McDavid was the leading scorer on the Erie Otters one time. I feel you wouldn't have asked me if it was two or three. I guess that's fair. The answer is zero. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> but uh, to your I didn't point. I did too hard. <laughs> to your point, uh, the year one he was there, 63 points. Uh, sorry, 66 points in 63 games. Connor Brown outscored him by wow. three. Well, that was just like he was like fourteen, right? He was exceptional status and all that. Yeah. Uh, year two, Dane Fox and Connor Brown again outscoring Connor McDavid. And uh, you mentioned Dylan Strome. Uh, yes, he had more points uh, than Connor McDavid that year. Alex DeBrinket not that far off on that. So year. does Connor McDavid suck? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Headline: Get the, get the ticker going on the bottom get of the, the screen on YouTube. Connor McDavid Julian McKenzie, sucks. Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard. No, McDavid sucks. don't. Don't do <laughs> too many Connors. There's too many Connors. I can't keep There's track of all of them. There's too many of them, and you cover one of them. <laughs> there uh, it is. Before, there it is. before we. Oh my God! Not no. <laughs> I'm never going to beat the allegations now, but also people in Calgary <laughs> gonna, may love screen, me even more. I'm going to screenshot this. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's going to be mixed opinion <laughs> on this. Let me change the narrative. Uh, you see, actually to quote, to quote Connor McDavid out there, I know the narrative out there, but it couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to oh, McDavid sucks. So tell me, Julian, was this, was, was this start Jay Woodcroft's fault or was it the goalie's fault? Is it PDO? It's the goalie's fault. Of course it's, it's the goalie's, goalie's fault. fault. And you fired Jay the goalie. So you did what you could do. You fired the goalie. Mark, Mark, this team could put Lisa Simpson in net, and they still would have sucked. No. I tried really to do good. like a... She was really, really, really good. She was really Eye good. Eye of the tiger, mouth of a teamster. Think I'm all the time you. we wasted on Jack Campbell? <laughs> oh, no. He had a bad time with the HL that first start back, too. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to Nikita Zadorov. That's another story that broke out uh, yeah. from this past weekend. Plays a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Blows up Tyler Bertuzzi with this big hit. His agent, Daniel Milstein, uses that hit as the opportunity to say, hey, get your tickets to the, Nikita, to the Nikita Zadorov show. And basically makes a complaint about his ice time on his behalf. And then it leads to a uh, trade request. Uh, Chris Johnston uh, and I uh, came together on a co-byline about that. Uh, it looks like Toronto. Uh, he would he would be totally cool with a trade to Toronto. New Jersey and Vancouver have also been mentioned as possible destinations for the 28 year old. Uh, if you have not done so already, Shana Goldman and I wrote a uh, trade destinations piece, which mentions a few other teams, uh, including uh, the one that uh, Mark Lazarus is uh, very familiar with. What do you think? Of, I mean, I, you only got to see you only got to see him in the COVID bubble year, right? Like, what are your impressions? Yeah, of, I, I wish of I didn't know him because he seems like a really Interesting. Oh, yeah. But even before all this, you know, he would talk about the war in, in Ukraine and all this. Like he's a he's a thoughtful, interesting, very direct yes, and straightforward is. guy. I, I would have liked to have gotten to know him. Um, you know, it's interesting that that, that original tweet by, by his agent, by Milstein, he hashtagged he said, get, get your tickets to see the, the Zadorov show. And then he hashtagged it Leafs forever. 
I read that as trade him to the Leafs now. Wasn't that what he was going for there? Yeah, that's what it seemed like Which in, is very, in that moment. It's one thing to ask for a trade. It's another thing to direct where he's supposed to go. Like, that's unusual, even by, like, you know, crazy agent standards. Also, just really interesting that Vancouver seems to be also in this as well. The very next team Toronto plays is Vancouver. It just felt like, like, hey, these teams that are going to be in Vancouver, like, Toronto has to be in there. Screw it. We're putting Vancouver in this, too. Like, this just feels kind of a, I mean, I just thought the way that was kind of done was just fascinating to see. And then to have Nikita Zadorov talk about it on Saturday night, and he didn't deny it. He said it's something that's being discussed. He couldn't tell us the whole picture. But, I mean, look, Nikita Zadorov, Pending UFA, 28 years old, still has some of his better years ahead of him. Left shot defenseman could probably work out uh, on a bottom pairing for a contending team for another Big type of team. guy. Maybe. Yeah, he could. He has some. He has some decent skating too. Like when he's at his best, like he could skate. Like I'm always surprised whenever he takes that chance up the ice with the puck and he makes those moves. Like it's he could skate for a big man. Yeah, he, he was he was underwhelming his year in Chicago when I got to see him day in, day out. He did not have a good season. I mean, very few defensemen had good seasons under uh, under Jeremy Colleton there. The whole system was kind of a mess. But uh, he, when, every time I see him in Calgary, I'm like, God, man, this guy's really good. Like, he can bring a lot to it. If he's not like a top-pairing defenseman, if he's, if he's a depth defenseman with his size, his puck-moving ability, uh, he brings something that not a lot of defensemen in the game really bring today where he can do – you have your guys who can hit, and you have your guys who can skate. He can kind of do both. Exactly. My one thing with Nikita is that it seems, at least just in the little bit of time I've been able to just watch him, yes, he does mistakes. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. Oh, he was it's a turnover just, machine in Chicago. Yeah. My whole thing with him is that when he makes a mistake, it's not like a small thing where it's like, oh, wow, it's just kind of there. But like it's like a big mistake. Like Even the other night against the Ottawa Senators, he's right behind his own net, and he loses the puck. And that directly gets led to a third goal for the Ottawa Senators. That's the one thing I'm, I, I kind of take a I, I hesitate a little bit with his game. Yeah, that, that that's why he's not a top guy, right? Because he's a little sloppy with the puck sometimes. Uh, he and he can get caught flat-footed. Happened a lot in Chicago where he, he have a horrible turnover in his own end, and it goes right into the back of the net because he does make he kind of you know a, he sometimes attempts plays that maybe he's not skilled enough to make. Yeah, and sometimes he just makes bad decisions out there. That's why he's. Not a top guy, but he brings something. He would, he could, he could add something to a lot of teams that are looking to get a little harder to play against. You know, he has a presence out there that, you know, in this age of smaller puck moving defensemen, you know, a lot of teams crave. If you're a GM, if you're Craig Connor in this situation, what do you do? Do you sit back and just wait for the deadline to move him? Or do you feel that pressure and think, hey, this might be that start to the retool that this team probably needs? Let's see if we can make some kind of deal relatively soon. Who knows if it becomes a situation that gets more unsettling or or whatnot. What? How do you see this? Well, that's just it. I mean, if it, if it becomes a real problem, you just got to sell him for what you can get. But he's he's a he's a relatively valuable asset. You don't see a ton of trades this time of year, but there's usually one or two. You might be able to get like an actual hockey trade or get like a decent prospect instead of just futures, just draft capital. Um, you're not going to get like a first round draft pick for Nikita Zadorov. So no. I th- I take my time. I, I I wait and see. And if it becomes a problem, if he becomes a problem in the room, which from all accounts, it does, I don't think he's going to be. He doesn't strike me as a type that's going to be like pouting and kicking and screaming. Even if he's unhappy, he's going to go out and do his job. And you wait until someone has a need, until there's an injury somewhere. And then you say, hey, how can I interest you in a Nikita Zadorov? And, you know, you try to maximize your capital because Flames, they're not going anywhere right now. So it's not that urgent. I mean, yeah, you want to kickstart that future, but you don't want to just trade a, a, a tradable asset just because he's unhappy. You have the power as the GM there, and as long as the player is not disrupting things, and so far he's not. It's just like a it's a, it's, it's a story, but it's I don't think it's something that the, the other guys in the room are worrying about. I, I I bide my time and see if a maybe you turn it around and he gets happy again, or if he gets his minutes. And B, you know, wait till wait till wait till there's a need, wait till there's a demand before you start throwing in the supply. Not to mention with the Calgary Flames, he's not the only pending UFA, right? Chris yeah. Tanev is going to be could be available. Noah Hannafin, it looked as if he was going to be close to signing an extension, and then all of a sudden, this losing streak happens, and contract talks are on hold with him. Julian, I'm going to welcome you to Rebuildville next year. Let me tell you how fun it is to cover a team that's doing that. Well, you know what's funny? The last year I was in Montreal, that was the beginning. Those were the beginnings of a rebuild there. I feel I've known nothing. Since since (laughs) the Canadians went to a Stanley Cup final in 2021, I have known nothing but 
rebuild and hope and rebuild. Oh, for two whole years? Oh, Julian. I don't want to hear that from you. You got to see a whole bunch of Stanley Cups in your time. (laughs) Yeah, the last one was, uh, what, eight years ago? So I don't hear about two years ago. Oh, eight years ago. (laughs) It's been eight years. Imagine being like like Eric Stevens in Anaheim these last, like, you know, since since 2015. That team hasn't won a cup since seven since 07. Hasn't been relevant since 2015, 2016. Trust me, there's there's people who've had it worse than you. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Well, yes, and worse than you too. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I don't really complain. Hey, yeah. Even when they're bad, the Blackhawks are uh, eventful. Let's say. Yeah, oh, yeah. You don't have to tell us twice. <laughs> anyway, uh, as we continue to talk about uh, some of the great players that uh, Mark Lazarus has gotten to cover in his time, let's talk about Connor Bedard, who had himself a great weekend in Florida. Uh, Four-point game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Scores two goals against the Florida Panthers yesterday, including a short side goal, top shelf, or top bins, as some people might say. In any case, it's where Mama hides the cookies. It's a sweet goal, and then he goes to the boards. He looks, he stares down the Florida crowd and just gives this mean stare. And that glance, that look, that is what's going to save the National Hockey League. That's the personality <laughs> that we need. Mark, what did you think of Connor Bedard's big weekend in Florida? Uh, it was it was awfully impressive. I mean, he's been really good since jump. He had like maybe one bad game in Denver where everyone just crapped the bed on the Blackhawks. But he has been creating all these chances. But this weekend was different because not only did he get four goals and two assists in two games, but he did against two very good teams, obviously, in Tampa Bay and Florida on the road. What he really did was the way he was he was doing it by himself almost. Like his his first handful of goals this year were all, you know, I'm open and in space, feed me the puck. I'm gonna use my phenomenal shot to just beat a goalie straight up, which we know he could do. He came into the NHL with maybe the second best shot in the league after Austin Matthews. He was ready made in that. But all four of these goals were him attacking this weekend. You know, the he 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 muscled aside Victor Hedman, who is I think it was nine inches and 61 pounds heavier than him to get That's a goal a on the inside after, after on the four check and then creates a play. And then he boxes out Victor Hedman. Um, the other, the second one, he made, he, he, he stripped uh, Nikita Kucherov at center ice to spring a two on one with this ridiculous little backhand and then finish it off up close with a nice little forehand backhand move. And then God, yesterday in Florida, the, that what the first goal where he stripped, I think it was Stenland. He didn't even stick handle. He 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 lifted Stenland's stick, who's another big dude, six four dude. Lifted his stick, kicked the puck to get control of it, and then one timed it off his foot into like a, a, a ridiculous angle from along the goal line over Bobrovsky's head. Ridiculous goal. And then his last goal was it was another one where he just like he just pounced on the puck and then just dives in on net. Like these were not you know puck movement goals. These were not I'm wide open in space. Here's I'm going to beat you goals. These were creation goals he was attacking he was aggressive he was assertive he was just completely taking over and that that look he gave the fans uh, in florida that's his attitude man like he's he's it's not i mean i guess he's cocky if you want to call it cocky but what's wrong with that he knows how good he is like when you you know i've been with covering him for what six seven weeks now and whenever you ask him something and you even hint at the fact that he might be struggling with something he comes at you like he's he's like no that's not true. I, I, I early on in the season we were in um we were in Denver and before that game I said are you shooting from too far out? You're shooting from twice as far. I was looking at the numbers. You're shooting from twice as far out as Austin Matthews is, and that's why he's got all these goals. And he looks at me, he goes, "I've got a pretty good shot." Like this kid knows how good he is. I think it's great. Like the NHL could use it. Like he's not being a dick about it. He's just confident. He believes in himself. He's an 18-year-old who knows he's already one of the best players in the world. How cool is that? But Mark, I mean, he's making it all about himself oh, with that God. celebration. He's being he's being cocky. He's being too over the top. What is this? That's we, the, can't, that's the, we can't have our future our, superstar do that. Look, stop reading the comment section from my column and listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he scored a goal the other uh, last week and he did the Patrick Kane celebration. He went down on one knee and it was like shaking his fist. Like he's oh. this this kid's having a blast out there. What's so bad about that? Like he 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 kind of like this was the weekend where he became fully formed as an NHL player, and he knows it, and it probably feels awesome. Good for him. You know, it's not like he was flipping off the fans. He was staring them down like, what? What are you going to do about it? It's great. That must, be so, that must be so cool to have the ability 
of an incredible just athlete in any sport and to score and to look at a crowd and especially if it's a visiting crowd be like what now you stretch out your arms and you look up at everyone you're like what now what are you going to do you can't do anything about it like i would kill to have that moment even if you're playing pickup basketball, it's always more fun to not celebrate than celebrate. When you hit like a badass shot and you just walk away and you just stare at them, that's yep. always more satisfying than like pumping your fist and high fiving and chest bumping. No, no, you just like nothing, nothing. Oh, I just, man. I just sank an eighty foot putt, drop the putter and leave. You know, that's the that's the way to do it. I did that this summer. I scored a goal and then like I just like walked off and just like other people coming at me trying to celebrate. I'm just I'm just walking. I was just like this is the most badass I've ever felt in my life. It's, it's <laughs> crazy. Uh, yeah, uh, when Matthew Kachuk in the playoffs last year, he kept scoring walk offs and just ran off the ice. He went yes! straight down the tunnel. That's the best. Who doesn't love that? I don't know, man. Look, we need to change the way that we view celebrations in this league, and I think that goes down to players. That goes down to fans. Like. Let these guys celebrate. Let them do their thing. And for a guy yes, like Connor Bedard, yeah, go ahead. No, what Cricket, a commenter, just said on 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 the YouTube uh, uh, feed, love seeing the cockiness. He's humble off ice all the time, so let him be that way on the ice. Exactly. Exactly. He says, when when we interview him, he's calm. He's humble. He's playing it down. Not that big a deal. But when he's on the ice, that's when he's got to be superhuman. That's when you have to believe. You have to be cocky. You have to be arrogant. You have to be defiant. You know, he's humble and calm and polite and nice all the time off the ice, saying all the right things. But when he's out there in the heat of battle, let him be an asshole. It's more fun that way. I also like your point about how about this past stretch of games, this is where he truly gets to realize being this fully, well, not fully formed. He still has years ahead of him. But in terms of being a hockey player, in terms of being this top level player, like dare, I don't even think it's a dare to say it. He's elite. Connor Bedard is an yeah. elite player and it's only taken him a matter of weeks for him to get his footing in and and be the face of this team like that is super spe- that's super special to watch well it's funny because you know we you know uh, a bunch of you know the blackhawks tyler johnson said this and luke richardson said this like he's starting to figure out the league it's been less it's been a month you're not supposed <laughs> to figure out you know we're gonna we're, our, arthur staples coming on in a little bit we're gonna talk about alexi lafreniere he did not figure out the league in a month He's like in year four, and he's just starting to figure out the league. That's how it's supposed to work. Jack Hughes is one of the greatest players in the world right now. He didn't figure it out in a month. Connor McDavid kind of figured it out in a month. Sidney Crosby, yeah, he figured it out in a month. Very few of these guys do this, though, where a month in, they can just take over a game like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm I, looking for – I mean, every time we have you on the show, it, I mean, obviously because you cover the team, it feels like Connor Bedard's doing something cool. So I'm looking forward to that next – well, I mean – you know, I'm looking forward well, to that next that, time we get to talk about something even more amazing. That's my dilemma, though, is like you know, I, I wrote a column off yesterday's game, kind of kind of already joking about this, that what the hell else am I supposed to write about? Like, <laughs> I, I can't write about Lucas Reichel right now. I can't I can't write about, you know, the power play sucking or the penalty. It's Connor Bedard. It's all it's, it's, it's only Connor Bedard. He's the he is the dominant story and he's going to be for so long now. Like I used to joke about how many times did I write a Patrick Kane or a Jonathan Day's feature. At least I wasn't in on the ground floor on them. They were they were already superstars by the time I started covering this season, this team in 2013. I mean, with Bedard, I'm already running out of things to say. Like he's just uh, there's just only so many superlatives you can throw out there. From uh, I can't believe this is the YouTube username here. When the <laughs> edibles kick in, how is Bedard doing off the ice? He is still a kid. He is. He's he's eighteen. I mean, he's 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 a young eighteen too. He just turned eighteen like late in the summer. Uh, he's doing fine. He seems he's got a lot of you know support around him, and there's veterans on the team. Corey Perry and Nick Felino really taking him under their wing. Uh, he's just kind of going about his business. He says he's starting to cook a little bit, like he's starting to learn how to cook, and uh, he's having a little more fun with that. He just had the mom's trip, so he got to have his mom back for a little while there. Uh, yeah. He lives in the same building as Luke Richardson, so I'm sure when he needs help, he can get it. Uh, he's doing fine. He's he's a, you know. He he just lives the guy. He Kyle Davidson used the term. He's obsessed with greatness when they drafted him, and you can see that he doesn't do anything other than hockey. He doesn't. Nick Foligno says he doesn't play video games. How many eighteen year olds do you know that don't play video games that can afford them? And trust me, he can afford them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just he, he's on the ice for an hour after every practice, just working on his shot, just screwing around. This is all he wants to do. Like the grind of the NHL. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, and I finally got a chance to talk to him one on one for a little bit. It, it's not going to bother him. He lives this. He wants this. This is all he wants to do. He is singularly minded the way that all the great players are. And, you know, it doesn't matter what happens off the ice because all he's thinking about is on the ice. 
And then I wonder what it would be like trying to go up to Connor Bedard and be like, hey, what TV shows do you watch? I mean, already he's young enough. He's not going to get any like Simpsons reference, <laughs> but like especially in his case, because he's so focused on on being this super dominant hockey player. There's no way in hell he knows anything about the Lisa on ice. Episode. Yeah. It's just all hockey. I, I picture him on the on the ice going, OK, goalie, I'm just going to hold the puck like this. And if that <laughs> puck happens to go past you, it's your own fault. <laughs> There's nothing you can do to stop him when he's got a shot like that. It's just happening. We're getting all the Simpsons references we can make. There's one other thing I want to get to before we get to Arthur Staple, who will be on in a couple minutes with us uh, to discuss the New York Rangers. Uh, we at The Athletic uh, put together a uh, NHL season predictions post, and already we have a 2.0 version of it. Revised picks for Stanley Cup playoff field awards and more there's a few changes I, i'd like to go through some of them if you don't mind one of them is hilarious <laughs> see if we can find that hilarious one i have a pretty good guess as to what it is um in terms of who could win who should who will win the stanley cup uh that has seen some noticeable changes the dallas stars 33 percent of us uh in the preseason said that they would be uh the winner of the stanley cup that's kind of gone down to 30 i'm stunned about this next thing this you know how many one, people? Yeah. <laughs> Vegas, nobody, nobody among us. I don't know how. Nobody among us in preseason picked them to win the Stanley Cup. They are now tied in terms of percentages among us uh, here at the Athletic. Uh, best likely to win the Stanley Cup. 30% of us think that they could win it, tied with the Dallas Stars. Uh, Carolina, Colorado coming up after that. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, 24% of us here at the Athletic thought that they would win the Stanley Cup. That number has now dwindled down to zero i had dallas at the start i have dallas now unlike most of my colleagues i have the courage of my convictions also i was right (laughs) fine fine you can go with that i I will say that not one of us defending stanley cup champions who brought like the entire team back with almost no changeover whatsoever not a single one of them a single one of us the legend experts picked them to win the cup this year which I think is amazing. And lit, and I, I've made this point, and I'm going to say it again. Like, literally from when the confetti was still falling on them, we were already seeing predictions for next year. And at least the, from the betting lines perspective, we were already picking them as, like, six best odds. Like, yeah. Colorado is supposed to be the betting favorite. Colorado, Dallas, Carolina, maybe the Rangers. Man. Nobody just, was talking about Vegas. We were sleeping on the Vegas Golden Knights, man. Uh, who will be the runners-up? Uh, the New York Rangers, again, we'll get to them in a few minutes. Only 3% of us said that they would be the runner-up. That number has now shot up to 40%. Uh, something about this Rangers team, man. They they look good. And again, we'll talk about it more with Arthur Staple. But uh, just a pleasant surprise. Well, not pleasant, but like, or who knows, depending on how you view the New York Rangers. I don't want to start picking sides on this one with pleasant. But the Rangers, the fact that they're in that position, wow, that's just a wild change. The Hurricanes, 33%, 33.3% of us said that they'd be the uh, the runners-up. They were the leading favorite for that. That number has dropped down to 20. The Colorado Avalanche, sort of the same. 18.2% of us said that they'd be the runners-up. That's kind of fallen down to 167 Uh The Devils are on this list as well. The Bruins, none of us. No one thought that they would be a runner-up in the Stanley Cup final in the preseason. Number just slightly going up to 6.7. Like that's The Boston Bruins were just so hard to predict for any of us. I like I like how Vegas went from zero percent to three point three percent. So it's it's all or nothing. Vegas can't possibly like if they come out of the West, they're guaranteed to win according to our, uh, our according to our <laughs> poll. Basically, I I had Dallas over Carolina. Carolina is making me a little concerned. Like every year, we're always waiting for Carolina to take that next step. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. The goaltending, Freddie Anderson. It's there's concerns there. Uh, the Devils, if Jack Hughes comes back soon, I like the Devils a lot. I see, I can see that as a team that can make it to the final. But I really, it's it's interesting because the East is so much deeper than the West in terms of just like playoff caliber teams. But to me, all the best teams are out West. It's 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 Vegas, it's Colorado, and it's Dallas. Those are the three best teams in the NHL in my mind. And I, I see nothing to change my mind so far this year. I think I had Edmonton, Carolina as my preseason Stanley Cup final matchup. I'm probably leaning. I I don't remember if I picked New Jersey or or stuck with Car or or stuck with Carolina. I might have picked New Jersey as the new East runner up, but Vegas definitely. Uh, in the second go round, I picked them. Uh, to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, one thing for sure, I picked San Jose to finish last place at the start of the year, and I definitely did so again. And everyone, a hundred percent of us now, believe the San Jose Sharks will finish in last place. And they for everyone, awful. and for everyone who said Edmonton is just a victim of PDO. 
the Sharks have about the same PDO as the Oilers do right now. It's bad. Really? It's low. They're 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 like the second and third uh, second and worst uh, PDOs in the league. So if you think the Oilers are coming back, then you probably have to think the Sharks are coming back, or maybe they're just bad. Um, here's this one: Who will be the first coach fired? Zero uh, percent of us in preseason thought Jay Woodcroft would be fired. And then it shot up to 46.7%. Should point out uh, that this post came out November 11th. We are November 13th now. So it feels like uh, a good chunk of us knew something was afoot. Yeah, I think we we all see what was happening at Edmonton. I don't think any of us were truly shocked when the news came down. Poor DJ Smith, man. We've been getting those. You get those emails from like the Bovada people all the time saying, here's the latest odds. And for like the first coach to be fired, it's been DJ Smith for like, However long he's been in Ottawa, like years now, he's always number one on the next coach to be fired list. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, one last one. We'll try to get as much time in before we get Art in here. I want to get your thoughts on the Norris Trophy uh, because Kale McCarr seemed like the overwhelming favorite among all of us in preseason. Nobody voted for Quinn Hughes as a possibility for the Norris Trophy. And now it's much closer between those two. In fact, uh, in our second go round, the only two defensemen who got votes for the Norris Trophy among all of us at the Athletic are Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. Right now, really early on, who do you think between those two should win? It's Quinn Hughes right now. Like right now, he's the best player on one of the surprisingly best teams in the league. Uh, he's been absolutely phenomenal, all just because he's mad at Dom Luschison. So, um, oh, come on. <laughs> tier, th- tier three, Quinn Hughes. With chip oh. on his shoulder, I, it's funny because going into this year, like, 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 look, Kale McCarr is the best defenseman in the world. We all know this. Like, he could win it every year the way Lidstrom did, and nobody would bat an eyelash. But the Norris is always kind of like a like a, a storyline award, right? And I really thought that Charlie McAvoy or Miro Heiskanen, it was kind of their quote unquote turn. And if they had big years, they could win it because th- that's just kind of how the voting usually goes. But man, right now it is a two horse race, and right now it's Quinn Hughes. Can he keep this up? I don't know. Sure looks phenomenal every time I'm watching a Canucks game. So keep keep him in those uh those re- those retro skate jerseys and he'll yes. win the thing going away. Yes, those skate jerseys need to be a thing. It's time for us to bring in our New York columnist Arthur Staple. Uh, does a lot of work covering the New York Rangers for us here at the Athletic, and I love your hat, sir. Uh, the <laughs> Montreal Expos, uh, nos amours, uh, rest in peace. I know they're Washington Nationals now. I just have to shout you out before we get going on the Rangers here. So thank you for dressing in appropriate attire. <laughs> Wore it just for you, J Mac. I appreciate that. You are a good man, sir. Let's talk about the New York Rangers. Uh, I couldn't help but notice Alexis Lafreniere. He's off to a really good start. I, I tried to count for myself on on the hockey reference page, on his hockey reference page. I think it took him about 46 games last year to get to, to the goal total that he's at now. He scored twice yesterday against the Columbus Blue Jackets, gets this sweet finish against them in the shootout as well. What have you made of his play to start off the season? Does it seem like he's finally playing to his potential at the tender age of 22 years old? Well, I caught Laz saying that Quinn Hughes is going to win the Norris out of spite for Dom. I think Lafreniere might uh, might just be doing this out of spite for the rest of us. Yes. It's kind of que- question whether the the B word for a number one overall pick, whether he was a bust and you know entering his fourth year, and you know his numbers the last couple of years have been okay. Um, you know, I think he had some some battles to find legitimacy and ice time under Gerard Gallant. New. New coaching staff, Peter Laviolette comes in. He wants to obviously wants to see this guy succeed. Uh, he's on a very modest two-year bridge deal. Um, so, you know, even in training camp, we kind of didn't seem to find a spot. So we were all wondering, is this is this going to be it for him this year? And and Chris Drury might finally look to find a taker for him and just see if he can thrive somewhere else. But uh, but playing on the opposite side of Artemi Panarin, when Panarin is going as well as he is, usually does wonders for anybody's game. And he seems to have meshed well with Panarin. First with Philip Heedle when the season started. Heedle's been out with a concussion for the last uh, four games. Vincent Trocek slides in. They haven't missed a beat. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with Panarin, but but you still have to be the guy that puts the puck in the net. And Lafreniere's been in the right spot. Uh, he's got a smile on his face. Maybe not so much when he's talking to us in the media, but uh, but he seems very satisfied with what's going on. And uh, as he said, it's still early, but he's on a he's on a great pace, and he's really been a big part of what they've been doing so far. 
how much of it is really just opportunity? Because he kind of came into a team. Usually, when you're the number one overall pick, you're on a team that's got nobody, and you just automatically get like like Bedard is right now. You just get thrown into the the top line, twenty two minutes a night. Uh, he really hasn't had that kind of opportunity in his first few years, has he? No, I mean, you know, you you get drafted first overall by a team that's not been good the previous couple of years, but also that team that's not been good just signed Artemi Panarin. Uh, that's there's a left wing that's in front of you, Chris Kreider's a longtime Ranger. He was going nowhere. So all of a sudden you come in and you're you're the third line left wing at best. And you know, when Gallant was here the couple of years, there was a there was always seemingly some debate about can he play the right? Is he comfortable there? I'm sure he would have done it uh, if asked. Uh, but he was asked his preference, and his preference is to be on the left. So he was stuck on the third line when they had the the kid line with Hedl and Capo Caco, they really thrived in the 2022 playoffs and the Rangers made it to the conference final. Um, but it was, a, it's a five on five line and it's the third line. They really were not getting a lot of preferential treatment. And when Lafreniere would move up after a couple of games, if nothing happened, you'd see him get bumped down. You'd see more of a, uh, you know, a veteran guy, like say a Barkley Goodrow get bumped into his, his spot. So I think this year, He's matured. He's grown into his game a little bit. And you've got a guy in Peter Laviolette who also doesn't have the greatest track record with nurturing young guys. But uh, but I think in this case, he's responded well to what the coaching staff has been putting out there. He's responded well to playing with Panarin, who can be a little bit difficult to play with sometimes. Um, and I think he's gotten a little bit more of a leash there since the season started, that if they have a bad game, Laviolette's not going to pull the trigger quickly. So that's definitely helped them too. Do you get that sense that Lafreniere's confidence has changed in in just talking to him post game after uh, after games and and in those media availabilities? Uh, well, whoever trained him to be as uh, bland and cliched as possible in the post game really should get a <laughs> bonus because that's Damn. that's his style. Is there's nothing wrong with that? You know, I, I think we all can accept as long as you're there to talk. Nobody can make you be interesting. Uh, you talk to teammates and they say he's. The funniest guy on the team. I think he's got a lot of personality behind the scenes. Um, but I think you can definitely see it. You know, he he doesn't love sitting and talking to the media post game, but now I think he understands when you are putting up numbers, you got to do it. So uh, you know, maybe there'll be a change there. Like I said, he's 22. Uh, I I shudder to think Laz and I, the old guys of this trio here, to think about when we were 22, if we had to talk to anybody, strangers, whoever. Uh, on a daily basis, it probably wouldn't have gone so well. Maybe for you, Laz, but definitely not for me. <laughs> I would have, uh, I would have been fired so fast. My God. <laughs> so, so I think uh, you know you, you, we paint with a pretty broad brush sometimes, and I certainly didn't hadn't heard a lot of good stuff about what was going on with him behind the scenes in in the last couple of years. But none of it matters if he plays well. You can turn it do a complete one eighty at that age and uh, and become a. Uh, more show more of who you really are, and and maybe we'll get to see it if he continues to be successful. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. I think we underestimate just how difficult it is to be a teenager on that kind of spotlight in a city like New York or in in, in, in professional sports. You're trained, you know, from day one to put up those walls and not let anybody in because there's so much pressure on you to begin with. You don't want to add to it by saying the wrong thing at any point, so you just learn to say nothing, and then yeah. people think. Then, then all of a sudden you get a reputation. Oh, he's aloof. He doesn't care. He doesn't have any joie de vivre. And it's like, you know, this guy's just a problem all around. And it just kind of snowballs from there. I think sometimes we need, I'm trying to do this with Bedard because he can be very difficult too. He's, 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 he's letting it down a little bit and he's having some personality, but he's very, you know, even keel. He doesn't want to say anything, you know, too exciting or anything like that. And I just got to keep reminding myself, the kid's 18, it's 18. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got he's got every single day. He's talking every single day. Cameras in his face. Every city he goes to, uh, it's asking a lot of these guys. And I think we have to kind of like allow them to put those walls up to some degree, and then slowly try to knock them down over the years. Yeah, and you know, throw in came in during COVID. New York yeah. maybe wasn't as fun a place yeah. as you might have wanted it to be <laughs> as as a kid. So um, there's a lot. You know, the last few years have been a lot for everybody, especially a young guy, young people all around young people in his position. So um, I think a lot, a lot of little things have changed and maybe it would have happened without a coaching change, but it seems to have coincided with, with Laviolette being here. Do we have any update on uh, Ryan Lindgren? Uh, it seems like he got injured uh, last night against Columbus or, or anything else on that injury front. Um, you know, Peter Laviolette said today, he didn't, he didn't skate today. Not a lot of guys skated because when Lindgren went out and they were down in that game, you know, Lafreniere, I think played over 24 minutes, maybe the second time in his career, he's played over 20 minutes in the game. Panarin was 28 minutes, which was, I think also an NHL high for him. 
Um, so a lot of guys got the day off today. They don't have a game until Saturday. So they're not practicing tomorrow. Laviolette seemed hopeful that Lindgren would be able to practice on Wednesday. The guy is, uh, you know, he's had a couple of bad injuries, but the way that he plays and he's such a little guy, um, he's fairly indestructible. And if you, if you see Ryan Lindgren uh, by about, the, you know, mid-November and he doesn't have a welt or several cuts on his face from errant high sticks or a punch or something, then you know something's wrong. But um, so, I, you know, I think they're hopeful on him. You know, you've got Adam Fox, who's out for at least uh, six more games once they get back, being on LTIR. Philip Heedle still hasn't skated. He's got, I believe, his fifth concussion since he got in the league. Uh, oh and Igor Shesterkin's just, just working his way back. So when you think about where they are, whatever, 9-0-1 in their last 10 and, and just finding ways to get two points without some pretty important guys in every position, it makes this start they've had to the season even a more impressive. This feels like a dumb question to ask about a guy who had 92 points last year, but why? what is different about Panarin this year? He just seems to be just like, like you know, at the, at the absolute top of his game. Bald. He's, he's more aerodynamic, right? That's all it <laughs> that's is. Right. That's right. Uh, that's right. He said, you know, he was joking with me when I said, he's like, yeah, it'll grow back. And I just kind of took my hat off and I was like, uh, I don't know. Buddy. Uh... <laughs> Good thing you're young. But, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he just, you know, I, I think, Coaching changes helped him a lot in in subtle ways. He and Gallant didn't always see eye to eye. You know, I think Gallant obviously appreciates the skill that Artemi Panarin brings, but I think wanted a little bit more of an edge in the playoffs, and it got in Panarin's head. You know, he did he didn't have a great run when the Rangers went to the you know Game Six of the Conference Final two years ago. He was good in that postseason, but not electric like he can be. And then last season, he was one of a few guys who was just awful against the Devils, and I think it really got in his head. Um, I think coaching change kind of let him take a breath and reset. And I think he would have done it anyway. He felt like he needs to be as dominant as he can be. And I think so far, you know, he's, he's being a little bit more North South. He's shooting a lot more pucks, which I think is as kind of back teams off on him and given, given him a little more space to make those, you know, 50 foot backhand saucer passes that, that Laz has seen all too well over the years. Um, but yeah, he's he's on fire and he's getting incredible support from Laviolette, who's been double shifting him a lot. Uh, obviously, like I said, 28 minutes last night when they needed a goal and lo and behold, they get it. For, it was his shot and Lafreniere was the one who was on, ended up tucking it in uh, at the far post. So this is a guy when he's on is uh, is ridiculous. Even when he's not on, he's ridiculous. And now I feel like uh, he's on another level. You know, maybe he gets, he's, you know, seeing what happens with McDavid and Edmonton, Maybe he's a guy who gets to one of those finalist spots for the hard trophy if he keeps this up. Um, you know, he's never gotten a hundred points in his career, which is surprising to see because he's been a ninety-point guy pretty much every year with the Rangers. So uh, that would be a milestone to see that uh, if he can keep this going and keep it going with a variety of line mates. You know, I think last year playing with Trocheck when Trocheck came in as a free agent, it just didn't work very well. They were kind of dissimilar, and now, and I, I think everybody can understand when Panarin is focused and doing a little bit of everything in his game, he's going to drag guys along and make them better. So uh, it's been good for everyone. Uh, here's another name that uh, both you gentlemen are familiar with, Patrick Kane. Uh, do you think <laughs> the Rangers should take a flyer on him again after his uh, sejour with them last season? Uh, probably not. Uh, if you're asking me my opinion, I don't know what's really going to happen, but uh, it seems like, this team is okay depth wise without him. You know, he really, he's Patrick Kane if, at full health. You'd obviously, anybody could find room for him, but you saw what happened when he was not at full health and not even really close to it last year. Rangers kind of moved heaven and earth. They, they altered their roster. Ryan Lindgren got hurt. They were playing with 16, sometimes 15 guys uh, for a stretch just to be cap compliant when they could make that trade. They didn't give up a whole lot, but uh, he didn't really add a whole lot. You know, they kind of wedged him in on the uh, – tried to play him with Panarin. It didn't really work. Tried to play him with Mika Zibanejad. That worked a little bit better. But I think the place that really was kind of the most um, disruptive was on the power play. You know, the Rangers have had a top 10 power play pretty much the last three years with guys like Fox, Zibanejad, Kreider. You know, Kreider's one of the more prolific power play scorers in the league the last couple of years. And you put Kane in there, which means Panarin goes, uh, you know, goes to his opposite sides. The Banajad's there. Where does Panarin? It, it just, it didn't fit, and it was, it was definitely vexing for Gerard Gallant, who 
relied a lot on that power play. They're still relying on, I, you know, I think they're over 35% so far this year. So um, is, is it, if it's about need, I don't think they need him. If it's about Patrick Kane deserves to be on the biggest stage possible, um, you know, maybe that's the case, but uh, it feels like last year's experiment probably scared Chris Drury off a little bit. And even though it only cost them some cap space and maybe waving one of their fourth line guys to, to make it work, I think what you're seeing here, especially what they're doing without some of their big guys these last, you know, three, four games is probably telling them, I think I'd rather have a good team than, than another superstar on it. Uh, one last one for you uh, with the Ho- Hockey Hall of Fame induction weekend, Henrik Lundqvist going to his rightful place in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Some would argue is the best goaltender of his era. Maybe some people would fight off and say, hey, Carey Price, but... Henrik Lundqvist is the king for a reason. Would love to know your thoughts on seeing King Henrik or Hank or whatever you nickname him make his way into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, it's certainly deserved. You know, uh, I threw that story back up that I did a couple of years ago when he when his number was retired by the Rangers, where I talked to all of his backups from his 15 years uh, in New York. And just kind of, you know, talking to guys from the progression of Kevin Weeks, who was the presumptive Rangers number one out of the 0405 lockout, who was just like, yeah, a week in camp with this guy is like, I'm not going to have the number one job for very long. And then on up to Alexander Georgiev, who was talking more about at the end of Lundqvist's tenure, where he's saying, I came to the Rangers and I'd never owned a suit before. And I'm hanging out with this guy for 10 minutes. I'm like, (laughs) I got to go shopping now. I can't keep I got to keep up. So you see the progression of this guy who comes in as, you know, a seventh round pick, a guy who uh, was very under the radar and comes in and within a year is the number one goalie uh, on the on one of the biggest stages in the league and and performing well, helping them get to the playoffs uh, when they had missed for whatever was seven years before the lockout, uh, becoming a star on a team that had no stars on it. Uh, the Tortorella era Rangers um, basically sing, you know, helped get them to the finals and, and losing, you know, a few heartbreakers and overtime or double overtime of the Kings. Uh, and then on into his mentor phase with guys like Cam Talbot and Antti Ranta and guys who are still in the league, still good number one, number two goalies who credit him with, with kind of showing them the way with the work ethic and practice and just how hard he competed on every puck, whether it was, uh, you know, a shoot around morning skate, anything that this guy, uh, you know, always had the eye of the tiger and, and uh, you know, then the fashion sense and the good looks to go with it. It always, he always made things seem so easy, kind of the way he does on TV now, where he just yeah. seems so smooth, but it kind of masks how much work this guy has put in. And, and, uh, and certainly, you know, I think a lot of people look at the championships and say, if he'd won a Stanley cup, this, that, but I think it, it's good to see that the hall can recognize greatness, especially in an era of, some of the greatest goalies to ever play the game. Uh, and this guy, not just as someone who won a bunch of games and was a star in the, uh, you know, on Broadway and in New York, but also an innovator, you know, the Lundquist loop, he's a, you know, tying his, his pad skates, uh, pad under the skates, uh, shaving down the goal stick. So he could have three fingers on the grip instead of one, like a lot of kids out there who are playing net, who are emulating Henrik Lundquist. And I would imagine that's probably the highest honor he can be paid that there's goalies out there, not just saying, I watched number 30 in red, white, and blue play, and that was awesome, but copying his style, and I'm sure we're going to get very soon some goalies either from Europe or here who are saying they're going to be drafted soon or get in the league soon. It's like my idols, Henrik Lundqvist, make us all feel old, him most yep. of all, but uh, but that's probably the most impressive thing that you can say about him, that he uh, he changed a lot of the ways that that goalies prepare and equipment and things like that, and a and, uh, huge influence, and obviously you know the greatest goalie to ever play around here, that's for sure. That's well said. So I guess so I guess you're gonna get his cologne too. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that on TNT. It looks pretty good. <laughs> I'm not a big cologne guy, but I'll see what I can do for you, Julie. I don't want to smell like the man. I want to look like the man. <laughs> Why not both? There, get, get you a man who could do both. <laughs> Arthur Staple, uh, our uh, New York columnist, does a lot of work covering the Rangers. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. All right, guys. Anytime. Thanks a lot. There he goes, Arthur Staple for The Athletic. Uh, we don't have that much time. I'll just quickly get to Mike from U.S. Sweden, a.k.a. Minnesota, in our athletic mailbag. Just wanted to, I guess, kind of vent to us real quick here. I was looking at the NHL Global Series because I was hoping to catch part of it on TV. It'd be so cool to see the crowd and hear how things might be a little different in Sweden. And then to see Swedish players playing in Sweden. 
super special. But at least for us in the States, I see it's only on NHL Network. Okay, I can complain, but that doesn't get me anywhere. So let me ask, why does the NHL keep hosting a few games a year, including the rivalry series, on a channel that so few people have access to? This is an America thing. I I, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't even get NHL. It's the only channel I'm ever on, and I don't get it because I have YouTube TV, and it's like the one channel I don't get is NHL Network. Uh, That's insane. I mean, I, I get the, these events are for the people in Sweden. They're for the European. These, you know, the, the timing doesn't usually work out. They're, they're not meant for American audiences because, like, watching a game, in it's, 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 it's indoors. It's not like it's at Lake Tahoe. So it's not like it's some TV spectacle. But it is. The NHL needs to do a better job of making sure games are – at least at least all of them should be on ESPN+, Plus, right? If we're all paying for that, let us watch the games. Like, it, it's infuriating when there are hockey games that I can't watch. Put it that way. I agree with that. And with that, that's going to do it for the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Mark, thank you so much for tapping in for Ian while he, you know, slacks off today, I guess. Competitive violence. That's why you're here. (laughs) That's why you should be. In all seriousness, I believe he's going to Sweden uh, for the uh, Global Series. I believe the Senators are a part of that. Uh, That being said, uh, tomorrow we'll be back, uh, Mark and myself, plus Daniel Nugent Bowman. In Edmonton will join us, Mike Russo, in Sweden. I think he's already in Sweden. He'll talk to us as well, and uh, he'll have his conversation with uh, Bill Guerin uh, from the Minnesota Wild uh, on our show. Wednesday, I won't be in, no mark. It'll actually be Sean Gentili and Jesse Granger with Ian Mendez in Sweden. Thursday, Haley and Sean from North America. Love how that's written up. And Max Boltman uh, will be in Sweden. And then your prospect series on Friday with Max and Corey Prom. That's the rundown for this week in terms of podcast stuff. And uh, that's going to do it for us again here on the Athletic Hockey One last Show. question for you, tomorrow. Julian. Oh, please, please go ahead. Do you have my teeth? No. <laughs> <laughs> Peace, guys. We'll be back tomorrow.